Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, welcome back, everybody. I want to welcome especially the folks down at our Hearts of Hope, Hands of God campus in East Wheeling. Glad you guys are with us this week. Everybody watching online on Facebook or YouTube and, of course, our church at home groups. It is so amazing to get together each week wherever you are with your church family scattered all over and to be able to uh, connect with God's Word and with one another. Uh, We are in a series called The Story of Jesus, and we're going through the book of Mark, and it's been quite a journey. Jesus starts off with a bang. You know, he shows up, and everybody's excited that he's there, and he heals a guy, and then he ends up walking on water, and he's teaching in a way that nobody's heard before, and they're all on the edge of their seat. And uh, of course, the people of Israel were waiting for a Messiah, a deliverer to come and, and rescue them. Their prophets of old had written about that. And there was a great deal of hope that Jesus just might be the one they had been waiting for. And there's all this momentum at the beginning. He invites uh, some people to follow him as his disciples and some as his apostles, his kind of inner circle. And things are cruising along. And then he takes them on a field trip. And they go up to an area called Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is not a Jewish territory. And uh, he gathers them around and they have this conversation about who he is. And he's like, what do people say? And and the people and the disciples are like, say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Other people say you're like a prophet from old and everybody has their opinion. And Jesus is like, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter pipes up and, uh, and he says, I say you're the Messiah the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus is like, ah, you're absolutely right, Peter. And and it's not because you're smart that you figure that out. God showed that to you. You are able to see that because God revealed it to you. And then Jesus goes, okay, so I am the Messiah. You're correct about that. But then he explains to them what's going to happen in the days ahead. And they weren't ready for that because they had a preconceived notion of who and what the Messiah was going to do. And he tells them, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I will come back to life three days later. And they completely miss it. They completely, they're like, I I just, uh, that doesn't even register, don't even understand it. But what Jesus does at that point in the story is he introduces some dissonance in the disciples. They're a little confused. They don't know exactly where to put that, and they're wrestling with it. And then over the course of time, he shares this with them again, and he shares it with them again in greater and greater detail. But we know, even as of last week, they still didn't have their heads around it. That was a blind spot for them because the, the Messiah was going to come in their mind and in their perception. He was going to come, and he was going to be a military and political victor, and he was going to deliver Israel. That's what they were waiting for. And Jesus is like, you're right that I'm the Messiah, but I'm not the Messiah that you are waiting for. 
And, 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 and so this week we find Jesus entering Jerusalem. We're finally at Jerusalem. You know, we're going to Jerusalem, and we, he's been headed in that direction for a while now. Last week he came through Jericho. He healed Bartimaeus, the blind man, and now he went up the, the mountain towards, towards Jerusalem, and he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11 and we're going to start in verse 1 today. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Mark 11, and we'll start in verse 1. But what we're going to see is that the people got Jesus. They just didn't get the Jesus that they were, were hoping for. And, uh, and then what did they do with that? So let's start. Mark 11, verse 1. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, they being Jesus and the disciples, uh, and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. All right, Bethany is this little town. It's about a half hour walk into Jerusalem from Bethany. Jesus has some friends there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, Mark doesn't cover this in his account of Jesus's life, but we know that it was on this journey through Bethany that Jesus stayed at Bethany, uh, and he probably stayed at, at Lazarus's house. But Lazarus had died, and Jesus rose him from the dead many days later. And uh, so there's all this buzz going on about that. But they start walking from Bethany towards Jerusalem, and they get uh, and and they get to the Mount of Olives. And um, now it's a now just to give you some context so you can get your head around this a little bit. Uh, the Mount of Olives is not a mountain. It's not a mountain like we think of mountains in West Virginia. It's more like a hill. It's about a 300 foot vertical drop. It would be kind of like walking from the top of Wheeling Hill down into downtown Wheeling and going to Heritage Port. It'd be along those lines, similar distance um, and a similar elevation drop. Uh, and they're going into the main gate into Jerusalem. Now, at this point in time, Jerusalem is swollen with people. It is uh, the Sunday before Passover festival. And the Passover feast is the biggest of all the feasts that the Jews celebrate. And so there's somewhere, depending on the historian that you read, there's somewhere between 250,000 people in Jerusalem to a million people in Jerusalem, usually a town of 40 to 60,000 people. It is swollen with people. And the Passover festival is all about celebrating the liberation of Israel. They're celebrating their freedom, their deliverance from God, their uh, conquering the Egyptians and, and God winning their freedom. And so the Roman uh, army, the Roman guards are on high alert because e just getting that many people together in one place is, is, you know, it's just ripe for a revolution. But then you throw in all this nationalistic fervor on top of that, and, and man, uh, they're ready to put down anything that even sniffs of, uh, of revolution or making somebody a king or anything. So Jesus is like, we're going to ride into Jerusalem as a king. And in verse, well, in the rest of verse 1, it says, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, if anyone asks you why you're doing this, say the Lord needs it, and it will be set, and it will, and He will send it back here shortly. They went and they found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, "What are you doing untying the colt?" And they answered, as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, 
He sat on it. Now, Jesus is making a very profound statement to the Jewish people who are all around him. Uh, he's, he's making the same statement that Peter made. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. He's, he's, he's fulfilling a messianic prophecy here. The prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9, years before Jesus ever showed up, wrote this of the Messiah. He said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy in real time. Now, that would mean nothing to us today because we're not students of Old Testament prophecy, but they were. They knew exactly what that meant. And the people were picking up what Jesus was laying down. In verse 8, it goes, it goes on, Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. They, they, they lay down as Jesus was riding this donkey into town as, as the king who was to come. They're laying down their coats for the donkey to walk on, and they've cut branches from the fields. We call this Palm Sunday because palm trees grew readily around there, and a lot of those were palm branches, and we see that in other accounts as well. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding into town. He's riding. It's kind of the red carpet treatment as he rides in to town. And it says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Hosanna means save now. So they're, they're singing, save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a reference to Psalm 118, one of the songs they would have been familiar with and one of the songs that they typically probably would have sung uh, at the Passover festival. But now they're singing it about Jesus who is coming and they take it one step further. In verse 10, they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Now they're talking about a kingdom. They're not talking about any kingdom. They're talking about David's kingdom. David was the king at the apex of the, Jew, of the Jewish empire. He was, he was the great king. When, when the Jewish people look back on their history, they look at the days of David. It was the greatest days of the kingdom. And now he's coming to restore the glory of David's kingdom. And then they said, so they said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Um, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Come now, save us now. And they're, they're like, all right, Jesus, now's the time. It's happening now. They're treating him like a conquering king. And, and Luke, it talks about, they, they, Luke's account says they called him blessed is the coming or blessed is the king and John refers to him as a king in his account as well and this would have put the Romans on very high alert they would have been very like we're ready to roll heads like they're going to put down because you know you have how many hundreds of Roman guards managing a city with 250 to a million, 250,000 to a million people in it, they're going to have to be fierce, they're going to have to be fast, and they're going to have to be violent if they're going to control this crowd and stop an uprising from happening. So every year at this time, they're on high alert, right? And here comes Jesus riding into town with a group of people declaring that he is the king who is going to restore David's kingdom. And they would not, the Romans would not have been unaware of all of those dynamics. They've spent enough time in this part of the world. 
Jerusalem is already at a boiling point, and now here comes Jesus riding in, and there's a lot of people in the country who believe he was the Messiah who was to come. Well, in verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So I want, I want you to picture this with me. There's this parade. There's thousands of people yelling, Hosanna, the king has come. They're, they're making a, uh, a red carpet out of their coats and, their, and these branches that they cut in the fields, and he's riding in, and they're screaming, and, and it's before him and behind him, and it's this big scene, and everybody's watching, and Jesus, fully expecting, fully expecting that Jesus is going to come in and start the revolution, and Jesus walks into town, he walks into the temple. He does not go. If he would have gone to the governor's mansion, we probably would have had a, a bloody incident, but he doesn't. He goes to the temple. He walks in, he looks around, maybe scanning out what he's going to do tomorrow, which he's going to turn some tables over tomorrow. But today, he just walks in, looks around, goes, okay, I'm bored, let's go home. And they all walk back home. Well, the people were disappointed. Wait, 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 we just had this procession for you. Now, what we can see from this is clearly the Jewish people expected Jesus to conquer the Romans. They expected him to come in as their new king. But the Jesus they got wasn't the Jesus they wanted. Let me say that again. The Jesus they got wasn't the Jesus that they wanted. Just like Peter, the Messiah that he got You're the Messiah, right? He declares him the Messiah. But then Jesus explains that he's going to go suffer and die. And Peter's like, no, 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 that can't happen. We're not going to let that happen. That's not, that's not the plan. And Jesus was, get behind me, saying, he wasn't the Messiah that Peter wanted. And now we've got that on a mass scale. We've got this whole group of people who wanted this conquering king to come in. And he turned around and walked away. They, you see, they wanted a Jesus to fix an earthly problem for them. That's what they wanted. They got a Jesus who fixed an eternal problem for all of us. They wanted a Jesus who would stop the oppressive rule, who would stop the oppressive taxes, who would stop the, the corruption in government and fight for freedom. But Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to solve a bigger problem, an eternal problem. He came to solve our sin problem, the thing that separated not just the Jewish people from God, but all people from God. But that wasn't what they were looking for. That's not what they wanted. See, the Jesus they got wasn't the Jesus they wanted. They wanted a Jesus who would destroy the Romans. And they got a Jesus who destroyed the stranglehold of sin. In Romans 6, 6, the apostle Paul says this, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The Bible describes sin as this enslaving 
force. And when we give ourselves to it, it rules us. We don't rule it. Jesus came to break the power and the stronghold of sin over our lives. He came to pay for the forgiveness of that sin and break its bondage over us. And because of the forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us and begin to rewire us from the inside out and set us free from the power of sin. See, they wanted somebody, they wanted a, a Jesus who would destroy the Romans, he came to destroy the power of sin. They wanted a Jesus who would judge the bad guys, but they got a Jesus who would die for the bad guys too. Jesus didn't just come for, for the righteous people. He didn't just come for people who had it together, and he didn't just come for the Jewish people, which is what they would have been thinking at the time. He came, he came for all people, um, and, and he came to make a way for them, not to judge them, but to be able to forgive them, to save them. And that's the heart of Jesus. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, before he went, he told the disciples, I'll be coming back. And the early Christians started wondering, when? And they started getting impatient. Well, they thought he was coming back in their lifetime. They thought he was coming back soon. And, and so they started asking the question and, and uh, getting impatient about it. And Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise about coming back, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, that's, that's the heart of God. He, he, came to, he came to die for people who were far from God. And, and once he comes back, wherever people are with him, the, the die is cast. It's the, the deal is done. And so he's waiting, Peter says, so that more people can find him and be saved and have a relationship with their heavenly father and and in eternity forever with him. And that's why he came. See, the, the Jewish people, many of Jesus' followers, wanted him to judge and smite all the bad guys, the Romans and everybody else, and he came to die for them too. They wanted a Jesus who would attack the Romans. Next week, what we're going to see is what they got a Jesus who attacked the temple. And in Mark 15, we see Jesus before Pilate the governor, the Roman governor, he had been taken prisoner by the, the religious leaders and they handed him over to Pilate to ask Pilate to, to have him crucified. And Pilate's interviewing him and he's, he's like, I don't see anything. I mean, he's not even claiming to be king of the Jews, but you say he's king of the Jews, but he's clearly not a political revolutionary. He's no threat to us. Why would we kill him? And so he's out front with all the people in this big crowd and, and Jesus in chains. And he's like, he's like, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. I think maybe, you know, I tell you what, we, we release a prisoner every year at the festival. Uh, how about I release this guy? And they're like, no, give us Barabbas. And they start chanting, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Well, Barabbas was a political revolutionary who was in chains and probably destined for crucifixion because he had killed some Romans. See, he was a, he was a zealot, and, and he, had, he had attacked the Romans. 
And Jesus is like, or, or Pilate's like, well, what do you want me to do with, with Jesus, with the king of the Jews? And they're like, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. See, Barabbas did what they wanted Jesus to do, so they, they, they yelled for Barabbas and for his freedom. When they got the Messiah, when they got the Jesus that they didn't want, they yelled, crucify him. So let me ask you, what is your response when the Jesus you get is not the Jesus you wanted? Is it crucify him or is it something different? Because here is a universal truth. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, there will be times when you are confused and you don't get what he's up to. There will be times when you, what you want is not what you get. And there will be times when you will be disappointed that he did not fulfill your agenda or do what you asked him to do. To do. There are going to be times where you're going to have loved ones who die, in your opinion, prematurely. There will be times where you'll lose a job and it's completely unfair and unjust. There'll be times where potentially you face financial ruin or your kids stay sick or that big dream of yours that you've poured your life into doesn't work out. And you're asking yourself, the Jesus that I wanted wasn't the Jesus that I got. And let me just tell you from personal experience and observational experience of walking with many other people, you can count on that disappointment coming at some point in time in your life. It's life. And it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're going to face those times. But if you're a follower of Jesus, those times can rock your faith if you're not prepared for them. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, Isaiah, the prophet, wrote these words. He said, speaking for God, he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In other words, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. There will be times where he's up to something bigger than you're able to get your head around, and it's not going to go the way you want it to go kind of like the revolution didn't go the way the followers of Jesus wanted it to go in our story. And in those moments, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter, writing to the early church, don't be surprised when things get hard. Don't be surprised when things don't go your way. Don't be surprised when you don't get what God is up to. You know, these things come and they will test your faith. But don't be thinking, well, that's, what's, what is going on here? In those times, the question is, what is your response you know, we've bought into this subtle theological distortion in, in the modern church, and it's, it's simply this, that we believe that Jesus came to make us happy when the truth is he came to make us holy. Ultimately, if you follow Jesus, 
happiness is where you'll end up, but it doesn't mean that every day is going to be easy and go exactly the way you want it to. See, if, if God's job were to make you happy every day, what do you do with your faith when life is hard or when the marriage is a struggle or when your job stinks, when your government lies to you, when, when you deal with things that you never thought you'd have to deal with? What do you do in those moments? God, where are you? If that's what you're like, bah! crucify him. It's a test. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. What is the test? It's a faith test. You know, faith, you know, faith is, um, faith is interesting stuff. It's not emotion. It's not convincing ourselves of something that we don't believe to be true. It's knowing in the midst of when those times come, when the Jesus we got wasn't the Jesus we thought we got or the Jesus that we wanted, that God is good and that God can be trusted. That is faith. When I was in my early 20s, I... Um, I went through a really rough time and um, just really struggling. I had grown up a Christian, grown up in the church. I'd been taught, you know, all the right Christian stuff. And I found myself in a period of time where I really wrestled with my faith and everything else about life. I felt like everything had just kind of spun apart. And uh, I was questioning so many things. And I remember at the time, I remember saying this at the time, that somehow I know in my heart of hearts that God is real and that he's good and that he can be trusted. That regardless of what happens through all this, I know at the other end, I'm going to land somehow and God is going to have used all of it, even though this period of time in my life is very unsettling. And it did. It worked out that way. I mean, um, it's powerful. But that's, you know, when the enemy comes to, to test you, to tempt you, that's what he goes after. Is God really good? Can he really be trusted? Remember when he shows up with Adam and Eve in the garden, and he's like, God really tell you not to eat that fruit? I mean, he's holding out on you, don't you think? I mean, you could really benefit by eating this fruit. God's kind of lying to you. You can't trust him. It's the exact same game plan. Jesus, we see, kind of come down on the other side in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, you know, it's the night before his crucifixion, and he's wrestling in prayer with the Father, and he's like, I don't want to be crucified. Nobody wants to be crucified. But he's like, Father, I don't want to do this. If there's another way, let's go for that plan, not this plan. But in the end, Jesus knew that God was good and that God could be trusted. And he was like, I, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Jesus passed the test. Adam and Eve clearly did not. I love Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, trust in the Lord, this is faith, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him 
and he will make your paths straight. Guys, this is the faith that God is looking for. Faith is not optimism. It's not hype. It's not working ourselves up into a frenzy to overcome whatever doubts we have. That's short-lived and temporary anyway. Faith is seeking God in the good times and in the bad times and in the confusing times, knowing that he is ultimately good and ultimately trustworthy. It's trusting him enough to do what he says, even when it doesn't make sense to you at the time. But you're going to obey. Now, truth is, in this life, every one of us is going to go through seasons. Like, hopefully life's not like this all along, but we'll go through seasons where it's painful, where it's confusing, or disappointing. And what does your faith look like then? Is it crucify him? Is it, well, if that's the kind of God you are, then I'm out? Or is it, I'm going to lean in and have faith? because I know that you're good, and I know that I can trust you. I want to give us three questions to wrap up, three questions that, that will, will just help you kind of sense where you are. I encourage you to write these down and maybe think through them later this week. And the three questions are this. The first one's this. You can write this down. Is Jesus my God? Is Jesus my God? Or is he just a consultant? You know what I mean by a consultant? Like, Jesus, I, I want your opinion on this. I, I'm thinking I want to do this and this and this. What do you think? And, and he gets back to you and, and, and it, it, you know, impresses upon your heart or whatever and says, this is what you should do. Or you go to his word and it's very clear what you're supposed to do. And you're like, yeah, I don't really like that option. I think I'm going to go with my option. He's a consultant. You know, you can check with him and you can take his advice or you can leave his advice. It's completely up to you. If he's God, you do what he says. He's not a consultant. Jesus only does God. He doesn't do consultant. Is Jesus your God, or is he like a vending machine for you? You go and you, you get what you want from him. Look, look, Jesus, I'll give. I'll throw some money in the, in the offering. I'll, I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. But in exchange, you need to answer my prayers, right? You need to give me this, this, or that. That's the vending machine, Jesus. Now, the problem with that Jesus is it's not God. He's a vending machine. And, the, and, and that's a transactional relationship and transactional. He doesn't do transactional. You know what we do with vending machines when we put our money in and we don't get out the, what we were going for? We kick them. That's exactly what we do. You going to do that with Jesus? Is Jesus your God or is he just a good luck charm? You know, I know people who are like, you know, I'm, I've got this little thing that I do with God and it, it's, you know, and it, it, I want him to keep blessing me. So he's just kind of my good luck charm. Second question is this, do I have a Jesus who aligns with me or do I align with him? Do I have a Jesus who aligns with me or do I align with him? So often people are trying to build Jesus in their image rather than looking at his words and looking what, looking what the scriptures say and shaping our lives to that. We create our own truths and, and we'll build it based on our experiences or based on our, our choices. We're like, well, God would want me to be happy. He wouldn't want me to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing that the word clearly says you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, but it wouldn't apply to that because God wants me to be happier, or my God wouldn't do that. 
Well, you're building God in your image, not conforming your life to His. We do this with our politics. God clearly has to be a, a Republican because God would be pro-life. Or God clearly has to be a Democrat because he, he, he really cares about the poor. God's not, a, God's not a Democrat. God's not a Democrat or a Republican, just to be clear. God is God. So, don't try and form him in your political perspective. Don't try to form him into your sexual morality or your, how you handle your money or anything else. What does his word say? Do I have a Jesus who aligns with me or do I align with him? Am I using my worldview and my morality to shape him or am I using his word to shape my worldview and my morality? Third question is this, do I trust the process? Do I trust the process? So many of us are uncomfortable with process. We want everything to be settled by the end of the half hour episode. And in reality, we might go through long seasons where nothing is settled. The disciples went through a long season where it wasn't settled, where Jesus is like, okay, you're right, I am the Messiah. Okay, you're right, you know, that crux point in the story. But now there's all this dissonance, and it's not going to be what you thought, but we don't know what it is, and they were confused. But you know what? They hung out with Jesus, and they hung in with Jesus, and they trusted him enough to trust the process. Guys, this life is just the beginning of our story. It's just the beginning. And God's love for you is overwhelmingly great. His heart for you, he wants you to live the best life possible, and that will be found in a relationship with Jesus, and it will have ups and downs. It's not to wash away all trouble that we might face in life, but it's so that we can live with a full heart a heart connected with God, our heavenly Father, an eternity with Him, and we can experience the power of God in our lives as we go. It's not necessarily the easiest road, but it is the best, and it's just the beginning. So these light and momentary troubles that you may be facing right now are just that. They're light and momentary, and in light and reflection of, of eternity, they're small but can you trust him? Do you trust the process he has you in? Because the best is yet to come. Now, here's what I know. There are some of us, you are hanging on every word of this message because you are living in the middle of one of those seasons right now, and everything is, is, is upside down and inside out. And I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus, lean into trusting him, into knowing that he's good. Don't default to crucify him. And there are some of us, things are going really well right now, and you're kind of like, well, that was an interesting sermon. It's coming, not to be fatalistic, but it's just a matter of time because these things happen to all of us at some point in time. But now you know. And let me encourage you, decide ahead of time who Jesus is for you. Because there will be moments when what we get isn't what we thought we signed up for. But it doesn't mean that God's not good. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. 
And it doesn't mean that he doesn't have your best in mind, ultimately. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you hold our lives in your hands, that you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. God, thank you that it is in the midst of those, those difficult times, those confusing times, that you do the greatest growth and the greatest work in our lives. And I pray that you would leverage, for those of us that are in those seasons, you would leverage this time and that you would prepare all of us to walk with you in good times and in bad, to trust you, know that you're good, and to lean into you as we walk through this life and into the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.